0: Välkomna till internationell författarscen. Jag heter Ida Linde. Och jag heter Athena Farosad och vi är programansvariga för litteraturen på Kulturhuset Stadstöten. Alldeles strax ska ni få höra författaren Jamaica Kincaid i samtal med Burjur Shahin. Varmt välkomna. Jag började innan jag blev bekant med det som kallas medvetandet. Min mor lärde mig läsa när jag var mycket ung. Och hon gjorde det utan att berätta att det fanns något som hette alfabetet. Jag lärde mig orden som om de bara var sig själva. Vart och ett, ett ord i sig. Intakt och i sig komplett som kunde foga samman med andra ord om de ville det eller om en person som jag ville att de skulle göra det. Boken hon lärde mig läsa ur var en biografi om Louis Pasteur. Den person som hon sa var orsaken till att hon kokade komjölken jag drack varje dag. Detta för att mjölken inte skulle smitta mig med något som hette tuberkulos. Jag fick inte tuberkulos, men jag fick tyfoidfeber, kikosta, mässling och ihållande angrepp av hakmask och spolmask. Jag var ett sjukligt barn. Mycket av den kärlek jag minns att jag fick av min mor fick jag när jag var sjuk. Jag har en sån underbar minnesbild av henne när hon stod över mig– –med muggar fulla av konvatten. Det var mot mässlingen. Och när hon gav mig muggar med tebrykt på örter som hon hade varit ute och plockat– –och långsamt låtit dra. Det var mot kikhostan. Mot tyfoidfebern tog hon mig till sjukhuset, barnavdelningen– Men hon besökte mig två gånger i veckan och hade med sig färsk juice som hon själv hade pressat eller rivit av frukt eller grönsaker eftersom hon var säker på att sjukhuset inte skulle förse mig med rätt näringsämnen. Det låg jag. Ett sjukligt barn som kunde läsa men saknade upplevelse av medvetande saknade begrepp om hur man förstår och på så vis begripliga begripliga världen hon föddes till en värld som alltid var full av en gul sol gröna träd, ett blått hav och svarta människor
1: Yes. Yes. Hey <laughs> Hello Hello everybody. <laughs> First of all, welcome back to Stockholm and welcome to Kulturhuset. I mean what a joy for us all to have you here again. It's such an honor for me to be in conversation with you. Thank you. A very short introduction. Oh, I, oh. Yes. <laughs> you were born on the Caribbean island, Antigua, and made your literary debut in 1983 after moving to New York as a teenager. And even though your books are called novels and essays, I would say that your writing refuses any genre boundaries. They make use of poetry, mythology and autobiography in the form of prose. And now you live in Vermont and study. No, study. <laughs> You're a teacher I am. at Harvard, but maybe a teacher is also always a student as yes, well. Yes,
2: that's true.
1: But let's start with uh, the travel book, Among Flowers, that was first published in 2005 and has now been translated to Swedish by Niklas Nilsson, as mentioned. And it started with the National Geographic inviting you to do whatever you wanted and to go wherever you wanted. And you decided to go to Nepal. How was that? How come oh,
2: um actually <coughs> it was um <coughs> excuse me, I sometimes have a upper respiratory um attack of nerves. Um I a- actually it was a project they they had um uh when Americans have uh, too much money, you know, they do all sorts of things with it, they build a yacht um, where you have to dismantle a bridge to get it seaworthy Um, or they decide to go to Mars or, you know, different things. Um, And National Geographic had found itself with a lot of money and decided it would publish, uh, ask authors to go to a place they most wanted uh, to go to and write about it. And most people, um, in my opinion, stupidly picked places like Paris, Italy, um, you know, some place in Europe, some place where they would have a holiday or something. And I uh, thought, my God, I'll just go um, seed collecting because it's something I've, I've done it before, sort of, but hmm. in a bus. This time I wanted not Yeah, you meet. went to China. I went to China. Yeah. But um, we stayed inside um, buildings. And I'm sure China has changed uh, a lot um, since I did that. But I vowed never to go to China and stay inside again, that I would always stay outside. Uh, Because it's so beautiful outside. It's very beautiful. Mm. Um, So this time, these botanists were going to... um, uh, in the foothills of... Um, Everest and Ma- Malaku and um Kanchenjunga and um I said that that's what I wanted to do mm. uh with the money the assignment gave to me and um uh, so I I went and it it was a, um, a a a strange time in my life because our family was just breaking up and as most women Um, I think, uh, of course, though you're in Sweden, life is so much easier for women in Sweden um, with with children. And um, so I didn't know what to do with the the children um, uh, to go off and leave my son uh, alone. And um, I even went to a suitsayer to see if I would die. And if she had said I would die, I wouldn't go because um, I would want to. Leave yeah, it's son. good to know before you go yes. if you will um, die or not. He was very disappointed that I was not going to die if I <laughs> went on the trip so uh, um so I I I I went we were actually supposed to go in 2001 and then uh, you know the world changed as yeah. they say and so we went to 2000 uh and and 2 but it's um uh, as a gardener or the sort of gardener I am, I always want to know where the things I am planting come from i can't i, I can 't help it it 's just a curiosity mm. um, was
1: it any specific plant that you were looking for uh no,
2: i actually um Knew that the parts uh, they were going wouldn't have too much mm. that would be ready easy to grow in my in, in Vermont um, uh, that they were um, uh, I can't go, grow the blue poppy Mechanopsis bentisifolia. is uh, uh, I can't grow it um, I don't think you can grow it here either so ha ha. <laughs> um and um but I, ju- I, I had read a lot of uh writings by plant collectors plant plant collecting um or plant hunters uh is a big indus it was part of in industry once you know um Uh, the distribution of food, sending potatoes to Ireland and then the crop failing and the Irish dying. Mm. Uh, Sending tomatoes, so all these, once the transfer of food. um, You do know potatoes come from Peru? Yes, you do. Good. Uh, It's such a big, what did you all eat before potatoes, by the way? we don't I, know. About I don't that. know. I'm
1: not from here, by the way, so I don't know either. But you went to collect seeds
2: for I, your I, garden. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, yeah. but, but just to say that be, uh, once the food business had been taken care of, you know, tea had been sent from China to England and Europe, is not native to to England. Um, Once that had been taken care of, people began to look for things uh, that were just beautiful. And um, in fact, I just read the other day that a a rhododendron that comes from Nepal, um, rhododendron pontica, I think it's called, is now a pest in England. But it, it, uh, it was sitting quite happily. In the Himalayas, when somebody brought it to England, and now they want to eradicate it. Europeans are very puzzling. Um, anyway, uh, I just wanted to know where things came from hmm. that I, you know, w- was ordering. So I went on this uh, trip with them, and they—it's their business um, to collect seeds and mm-hmm. and grow. You know, they'll find rare. Um, um, viburnums, uh, rare. Uh, there was a place where we found um, the Magnolia campbellii, and I'd, I'd always w- wondered about it because I'd come across it in Joseph Hooker's journal. He saw Magnolia campbellii. Now, Magnolia campbellii is named after a uh, Mr. Campbell, who was the regional director of that region of the British Empire in... Mm. In Nepal, and um, I was, you know, quite interested to see. Um, there was a representative of Mr. Campbell, and I don't know what the Nepalese called that tree before. Yeah, um, it
1: had so a name, probably. I mean, in your life and in your writing, you've been thinking about the garden, the philosophy of the garden for a long time, yes. and gardening as well.
2: Yes, it's interesting that the word philosophy, um I I I, ha, I didn't know that in con I, I did I hadn't really thought of myself as um engaging in philosophy as I thought about mm. um these these things. But I, I, I suppose so. I think I'm too I'm too lowly to consider myself in the study of philosophy. But um uh yeah the the um oops
1: um, the but I mean it name, is you know the knowledge is, that the it garden is, is producing and, it, and it's in relation to you know the violence of colonialism and the violence that it is to name things which you also write in, in the book about the garden from 2000.
2: But, but, it, but it turns out that um, in thinking about it in that way, um, when I then began to explore more about well, what does the garden mean, and went back to the um, uh, creation story, I mm. could see that even there in the beginning um, was this violence in the garden. Mm. And in what way? Well, um, The very creation itself is—it's—it's hidden or or wants to hide from us. But the creation of of the earth, you know, there's this part in the Bible, and if you've heard me talk about this before, read your telephone. Um, um, But there's this part in the Bible where the sentence ends with, and saw that it was good and I I for a long time I thought, but so that it what could it mean so that it was good? And it it occurred to me that uh that there are many creations mm. and only one was good and the others are just mm. waiting for Elon Musk to discover them.
1: Yes, I mean um. it is about destruction but you also write about the garden as you know pleasure and necessity which you, you divide into horticulture and agriculture yes. or the tree of life or the tree of knowledge. Yes and, and, and you also say you you speak about the gardener also as well you know the first gardeners were the people and they couldn't manage it and they yeah, were kicked the fir- out.
2: I, I would say the first gardener was whatever mm-hmm. great person in the sky. Um, uh, they, because as you know, he created man and woman in his image. So clearly, God is they. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but. Um, uh, the um, the the gardener the garden was um, the arrangement of of the creation um, it's not the tree of knowledge and the tree of life it's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge so i as you say interpret it as uh, um agriculture and horticulture, Mm. and it's inevitably so that in uh, garden civilization, in in any places where you see gardens, you talk about gardens, there is enough to eat. Mm. The tree of life is um, over-producing. And then you have uh, horticulture, which is um, where you discover... Things where you think about mm-hmm. um, uh, things. I mean, uh, uh, which I is don't also
1: think... an analogy for colonization, of course. You know, where there is excess, there is lack, or where there is domination, there is also repression. It's
2: quite true. The gar- mm-hmm. I, I teach a course called "The Paradox of the Garden: Good and Evil." Mm. Um, yeah uh, in in the garden and and um you know if you read the story it, 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 you go along and it's there 's clearly uh, a, a moment or and, and the moment might be you know uh six hundred years where the garden is really bored with the situation of these two people just walking around, and there 's the violation the, mm. um, of the eating the forbidden fruit. And the forbidden fruit incidentally is a pomegranate.
1: And how is this situation, we could call it, translated into writing? Because you said that the gardener is someone that abandons the garden when it does not act as she likes. So how much of this is true in writing, would you say?
2: Oh, I've never abandoned any piece of writing. I don't think that um, when I'm dead you'll find any piece of writing that I've I d- decided not to publish. I just write and send it somewhere and some <laughs> someone... Um, uh, uh, We're thankful relation- for that, by well, the way. The relationship between me and and writing and the garden is not as um, cl- clear uh, as it might seem. I, I think a lot about the world when I'm in the garden, I think it would have been impossible um, for me to have developed into the writer I seem to have become um, without gardening. Mm -hmm. I have so... Uh, done so much writing in in the garden, and then I run inside and and write mm. something, and then I. Uh, but I your mother know. was
1: also a gardener, and you mm. recall these memories of when you first moved to New York, when you were just gardening in pots that were planted yes. on the roofs
2: of some buildings yes. in New York. Yes, as yeah. as uh, um, yeah, as many uh, people did, but. Um, Uh, To say my mother um, was a gardener, um, uh, um, again, I've I've said this before, my mother, uh, it was more um, cronus-like in her relationship to everything alive, really. Mm. She could easily give birth to it in the morning and eat it at night. Um, So uh, her... Her approach to gardening really was to, if she liked something, she could take a slip of it or she could eat it and take the seed and grow it and it would become the most beautiful thing you ever saw uh, until she was sick of it and then she'd set fire to it. She has done that. Mm. Um, she ate a breadfruit uh, in Dominica and brought the seed back and it grew into the most beautiful breadfruit tree ever saw the leaves were oh just so glossy and beautiful and then a hurricane came and knocked it over on someone else's house and uh, destroyed their house Mm. and um, so there was just this empty it covered a corner of the sky and then it was gone because um Mother had planted it there mm. uh, um yes, she could grow anything I, I it was wonderful to see that uh in her and i'm I'm sure I inherited some of it either through internally or just by example. Mm. um my brother who died rarely had her gift for growing things and af- an affinity there There is something between a person and plants um, that, you know, people... uh, Actually, um, I think uh, there's a huge quarrel in some parts of the sciences about whether trees are sentient because even though they communicate with each other extensively through uh, their leaves and roots and so on, Mm. um, some scientists say, well, that's not thinking. And I suppose they think Mm. they are in charge of thinking.
1: Mm. As always. But as a young woman arriving in New York, you were sent there actually to be a servant. And then you studied photography. I did. And then you uh, eventually pursued a writing career which started with an interview with Gloria Steinem for Ingenue magazine oh, and I've also heard or read that you did some <laughs> backup singing I to did. the iconic transgender actress Holly Woodlawn. I did. So I wanted to ask you what was it like to you know start a career at this point in your life and in New York?
2: Well... Ignorance is bliss um, in some cases and uh, actually at one point when I was a child when I'd done something wrong I had to write that very thing. Ignorance is bliss, it's folly to be wise 1000 times. That was my punishment. And um, it turns out I must have taken it to heart in some way, but it didn't remain uh as it should have made me ignorant i I just thought um I was always very curious and I was always doing things that I shouldn't do and so uh when I was sent to New York to be uh uh support my family, I was the eldest child um i felt very resentful and uh, after a while i stopped sending home my paycheck and um would go to the most expensive store on 5th avenue and buy my clothes and um uh and then um but but the uh I wanted to write, really, but I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how you did anything. But I would just, one day rang up Gloria Steinem and asked her if I, I didn't know her at all. Mm -hmm. Um, She had just started Ms. Magazine, and I just thought, well, I'll call her up and ask her if I could interview her for uh, a magazine for 16-year-old girls, and I would ask her what she was like when she was the age of the readers of the magazine. Uh, And she said yes, and I wrote it. And the editor was so pleased with it that she turned it into a series. So I would go all over the United States. I interviewed Ryoko Ono, uh, Barbara Walters, people you wouldn't know, uh, <laughs> really, um, asking them, you know, what were you like when did you have your period and uh, thing, things like that. But I, 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 I had this, you know, I have this thing I just wanted um, to write. But while I was doing that, um, uh, I was, I was very tall and thin. You'd never guess that from looking at me now, but I was very thin. And um, if I had 10 friends, nine of them were gay men. And uh, they would, uh, I would pose for them. That's mainly how I earned a living. Or photography? Uh, No, they were um, illustrators for a, a fashion daily newspaper called Women's Wear Daily Mm. and uh, they would bring home the clothes and I would um, stand on a pedestal and pose for them. And in the meantime, I was scribbling um, things. I changed my name. I cut off my hair um, very short, dyed it blonde, uh, um, shaved my eyebrows and colored them in and just wore very old clothes that um, you would find uh, a, a housewife in the 1930s in Kansas <laughs> where I, f- I just found all these um, old clothes. Or oh, I would wear my pajamas, as I am wearing right now. I Still love stylish. My pajamas. Um, and um, and then for uh, I would try to write all day and then for fun I fell into... Uh, this group of people, um, and uh, as you mentioned, Holly Woodlawn, um, she was sort of at the end of the Warhol career, and she started a band, and somehow I became one of her backup singers. And we had a performance at a club called Reno Sweeney's, and... um, we got terrible reviews, just, and we really were terrible. Uh, and and so that uh, was the
1: start of your writing career, you know, was, bad but, reviews. But here, is, but here is the
2: interesting thing: I didn't know until I read her uh, autobiography. Uh, she said um, um, we, that I was fired and I was, I was replaced by Debbie Harry.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, but uh, girls, you know. One of your first pieces of fiction that was published is yes, called right, Girls. Yes. And it, it is written through this voice of a mother with all of her warnings and advice and kind of, you know, hard tone. Ah, that's being kind. And it seems, yeah, it seems to me that, you know, the garden, the origin story of the garden uh, is as much a place of origin as a mother is. And I've been thinking about, oh. you know, that... Voice of the mother, and in what sense you would say or reflect upon the writing being a sort of answer to that voice or to that
2: to that mother. mother's. Um, well, uh, um, you you could say you know that my writing about my mother was my way of responding to her way of. Uh, Uh, bringing uh, me up and and, um, though when I was writing, I didn't think of it so I really feel uh, or felt that I was giving Um, trying to give an account of a self that I had that she knew nothing about, Mm. um, as I think it's true of most young people. They feel, um, you know, so a young person doesn't really lie. They are just hiding something from you, keeping a part of them private. Um, So I I felt I I was doing that. But then as it grew and I came to understand um, it more, you could also say it's not a metaphor, but a a counter or or a a side-by-side description, narrative of the relationship between the colony and the mother country, Mm. or the colonizer, that um, if you were to read the laws, the colonial laws of a place like where I grew up, Which were separate from laws in England, um, you would see, you could say that they were designed um, not to obey the law, but uh, designed to make you into a certain kind of person, a submissive person. Mm. Um, And the mother's instructions uh, to the girl are to basically to be strong in submission. If you do it the right way, if you, if you submit correctly, you might find some dignity mm. uh, in it. And it's a, a sort of interesting as I was growing up to see um, grown up uh, people, not my mother. My mother was very rebellious um but who had uh, con- uh formed themselves into these uh, mini english black people you know they were um very polite very mm. they never cursed they never um they sang the british national anthem a, a, a favorite thing um was to sing the closing hymn on sunday um, was about longing to see the, the white cliffs of Dover. Yeah. And they're not white. No. Those cliffs. But,
1: but I'm thinking, you know, because I'm wondering about, you know, where is the place of pleasure in that? Because that is also something that you write a lot about, the pleasure of the girl, both sensory and in other ways, yes. you know,
2: sexual as well. Yes, but you see how it's cut short. It's always um um abridged uh, pleasure is not to be too much don't have too much of it and uh i mean if you you you, you can see um don't sing bena bena is popular music and don't sing it um on on sunday well popular music and by that calypso. Um, especially, mm. it was just wonderful to sing and uh, uh, and dance to. But don't do it. Mm. But why shouldn't you do it? It's invented by people who look like you, and uh, it's full of something that you can relate to. So, yeah, um, the the um, pleasure. And again, uh, to go back to paradise, pleasure in paradise is always limited. In fact, I've come to think of paradise as really a state of death.
1: Mm-hmm. In what sense?
2: Because you can't do anything, in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, the absence of paradise in this life. Then I mean, absence is another idea that I find in your working, and I wanted to go back a little bit to Among Flowers because one of the things that I enjoy most with it, or find most, you know, poignant, is you know not what is actually there the landscape, the sublime experiences of it, or, you know, the Sherpas, the <laughs> mm. people you're traveling with, <laughs> the...
2: making me uh, laugh? You
1: know, or the meeting with the Maoist guerrilla groups yes. or the leeches. It's not that. It's the fact that your son is left behind. And it's, you know, the way that you make use of negation to make something present a sentence like, Oh, the beautiful blue sky above my head was not something Mr. Potter ever said to himself. Oh, yes. And I wanted to ask you, in what way do you think writing is or can be a way to engage with loss or in fact, you know, lost worlds, lost people? lost language yes but
2: not just um, writing i think uh I, I think your daily life just to be conscious is um in a way you know if you if you're really living your consciousness is a struggle um to forget all the things that are not that uh, you know Life begins with an a not i mean and i um, I hope this connects to your uh question but uh for me i i I like to begin a lot of times with a conjunction um which you're not supposed to do um they tell you in writing school but uh the reason for it is that I like um the emptiness um that the conjunction should have joined but i don't tell you um what what the conjunction uh uh should be but uh, um then then it's not it's not that it's negative it's just not it's not it's not negative it's only not and uh, uh, paradoxically I absolutely do not believe that there is such a thing as nothing, I just believe that nothing is something I haven't yet gotten a hold of, mm. but it exi- But it's not nothing. I just don't know what it is yet.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's possible to summon that in writing, I yes, think. And the conjunction yes. for me is so much, you know, connecting things. Yes. To say that this belongs together with this. Yes, and now but I don't know
2: what it belongs to yet. Mm. Um, and sometimes I find, I find the what it connects to. But for me, there's an endless n- not. But it's not nothing. Nothing is something. I just want to make clear, nothing is something. I just don't know what it is yet.
1: Mm. Yeah, maybe writing is to find out what that is.
2: Exactly. Mm. The other thing I'm interested in, which um, um, mm, it it often makes my students very unhappy, is to ask them if a person is a noun or a verb.
1: Hmm.
2: Okay. See? Yeah. Well, it because a, n- a noun, a noun is a person, place, or thing, mm. um, and a, a place or thing stops there, but a person doesn't. So, how can a person be um, a noun? And uh, but you make them a noun because if they were a verb, you wouldn't be able to get hold of it. Can, mm. If I was just constantly say, "Now, Jamaica, sit down." So, I can talk to you. But I like to, um, the, to when I'm writing, engage with these possibilities. Is it, is it still or is it not? And then when it's a noun, when a person is a noun, you give them a name and then you begin to, um, as you say, deconstruct or construct them as... Mm you You like, uh, but then that of course, will engage me in the naming of things and the possession of things, which are, again, that was um, those ideas were ideas I came to through the garden. yeah, um, possessing: mm. um,
1: Yes. But, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about paradise and rebellion. Mm. You know, you've said before that you were mm. quite a mischievous child, not always doing what you were told, and you were sent to read books as a punishment. You were also schooled in British colonial literature. You were, you could say, a rebel, uh, just like the characters in some of your books. Uh, like Annie or Lucy, that defy the set standard of rules. And one of the poems that you have referred to is Paradise Lost by John Milton. A poem that has had great impact on your writing. And you've quoted it by saying, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And, and I um, wanted to ask you, what does that mean? And what is the role of rebellion and mischief in your writing, would you say?
2: Um, well, I don't know what the role is, because I, you know, I don't... Uh, I, I don't. wouldn't say I write in um, quite the way people uh, uh, read it, of course. Um, so I wouldn't say that um uh, you know i'm very interested in, in, in as anyone of my complexion is in um the issue of subjugating subjugation um but uh, you know a place like um Haiti uh which um frightened the hell out of the uh caribbean uh, the time when its revolution uh, it overthrew French rule um, at a time when the French army was at its most powerful, they defeated mm. the French uh army and then uh, uh, has since then been uh, reigning in hell, um, which is something um, that France and the United States, which also um, was a slave society. The United States was very afraid of the success of the Haitian uh, Revolution. It it terrified all the slave-owning people, uh, the success of it. Um, And so they made Haiti a hell. And um, I'm the sort of person who would rather um, rule in... uh, or. Be in on the Haitian side than um, mm. than to serve in Canada. Just to draw, and but I mean, and I love Canada, by the way.
1: Yeah, we were talking about it earlier. Don't worry. Um, but I mean, resistant doesn't have to be, you know, that. It doesn't as have well. I mean, I, I think of the be. way that you make use of beauty, or the way that you. Recount beauty in your books is also a sort of resistance.
2: Oh, I hadn't—I uh, hadn't thought of uh, uh, of, of it uh, that way. But but beauty is a—you a, a know—Lucy says, you
1: know, the British—they dress poorly, they're yes. ugly. You know, it's something at stake when it comes to beauty as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I I hadn't. Uh um, thought of it uh, uh, um, in that way. I mean, my, you know, I, I make a garden and I love um, the beauty of the flowers. I will stand over a flower for hours just to see it um, opening, just to see it unfurl as there are certain flowers that respond to light. Mm. Um, evening primrose or you know when uh, there's one that as it gets the days get shorter it starts to bloom and uh, so it, get, it starts to bloom in late July and it starts out tightly bound up and as it, uh, it gets darker and darker and it goes like this and then whoa. <laughs> and the children and i like to watch it and and uh, just enjoy ourselves uh, mm. so so yes beauty is um uh, uh a big uh uh part of my thinking i actually have a wonderful friend who um believes that beauty and justice are related that you can't have one without the other am i either. that friend <laughs> you could be. You know. But she's written a book um, called On Beauty and Being Just. And um, I'm trying to get uh, Johannes to bring it to you, Swedes. Um, it's a, a tiny I think book. I've read it, actually. You might I just have. can't
1: remember the name yeah, of the Yeah, Elaine
2: Scarry. Yes thank yes. you yes Lane's carries her anyway her, it's a, um, uh, so yes uh, she she believes that justice and and beauty and she's a gardener also she's a wonderful gardener um, yes she writes about the palm tree in that book i remember yes yes oh you t- oh i'll tell her um yes but be- but beauty uh yeah for me um uh beauty has about it uh, I would say it's. I want to say it's divine. It's. Um, it's not terror. It's uh, terrorizing. It's not. It's just beautiful, and it's just, and it's true. Mm. And, and then again, once I start thinking like that, I go into all these aspects of what is the truth. And I think I've already bored half of Sweden with my, con, my idea of the truth, being prismatic. Mm. Um, that it has many uh, colours and not r- not a rainbow, but a lot of layers of things. Mm. Whereas a lie is its opposite. A lie is just t- mm. it's nothing. That's a lie. A lie has no argument. It just is not true. I wanted to ask you actually about truth, but its
1: relation to mythology because I mean we've been talking about the garden and paradise and you know you said that the way that you enter the world of the garden is through the myth of the very first garden and then in the autobiography of my mother there is a passage in the book that is about how the wife of the father To Zuela, that is telling the story, is trying to kill her by having or giving her a necklace with Uh these dried berries and Uh. polished wooden pearls and seashells. And then she goes on to tell the story about how she and other children, on their eight kilometer long way to school, they have to cross a river. And then they see one day a naked woman standing there. And one of the children, one of the boys, starts to approach this woman. And as he approaches, he goes further and further away until they both disappear. And she says that this boy has drowned and she goes to tell her father that doesn't believe her. And then you write. It was almost as if the reality of this terror was so overwhelming that it became a myth. And then you go on. Everything about us is held in doubt. And we, the defeated, define all that is unreal, all that is not human, all that is without love, all that is without mercy. Our experience cannot be interpreted by us. We do not know the truth of it. Our God was not the correct one. Our understanding of heaven and hell was not a respectable one. So I wanted to ask you, what is the relation between truth, this prismatic thing, and mythology? And what role has mythology and magic has had in your writing?
2: That's um, something people have asked me before because of uh, magical um, realism. And um, I... uh, I... I get into a quarrelsome mood about it. For instance, you know, um, um, a forest is in Europe. A jungle is in, well, where I come from is a jungle. But it's Mm. the same trees, just growing. Um, uh, I I remember um, when I first heard about George Wallace, for instance i was 9 years of age and i i'm go, i'm telling your story to answer you and yeah and yeah go I, for I, it all right um so i uh, that kilometer 8 or 5 miles um that i would walk to school the school was in a village called masak um it's called masak <coughs> um by now so absorbed into the memory and the very skin and bones of the people who live there that they don't even have to uh, tell each other. It's called massac because the people who settled uh, Antigua, the Warners, by the way, Marina Warners, ancestors, but we consider ourselves sisters because you know the writer Marina Warner uh, well her ancestors settled Antigua, mm. and um, her um, one of the Warners had a, a child with an Indian uh, Carib Indian woman, and he became known as Indian Warner, and he used to re- lead raids against the British settlers and it so enraged his legitimate brother that he organized a party, sailed to Dominica, and murdered his brother, Indian Warner, in that village um, of Massac. And the village is called, is named Massac. I went to school in Massac, the Massac school. I first heard about George Wallace and American race violence um, under a tamarind tree in the village of Massac, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember our teacher telling us that um, this George Wallace came from a place called Alabama uh, near the Mississippi River. And um, she said, "Well, what 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 should we do with him? Uh, what what advice? How to handle such a person?" And I remember saying, "We should send him some Bibles." And my reasoning at the time was be- that was that people who lived in places with names like that were not civilized, and only a Bible uh, could uh, uh, Christianity could civilize Mississippi. Um, uh, Amazon. No, those uh, you know we we believed were not proper names for bo- bodies of water. Thames. Now that's a name. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, uh, think, uh, so uh, to um, that. That's how uh, uh, the colonialism I grew up in worked. Uh, all that we knew uh, was not was renamed
1: mm.
2: and repos- and possessed given back to us as something through the way Europeans understood the world mm. that's what um I mean by that the mm. whole uh um so that To call the village Mbasak is our way of remembering something that is so traumatic and we um, uh, uh, live with it. But another example of all of this trauma and how we live with it um, every day is, for instance, you would never say you were wearing uh, a a white shirt. You would call the shirt by the weave, so linen, you'd say, or poplin. And... (coughs) Poplin, by the way, is a weave of um, that Huguenots who used to make the, the Pope's summer clothes when he, he summered in um, in France in. Um, oh, looking H- at the audience. Like yes, everyone knows uh, uh, where the Huguenots um, in Avignon. Avignon. Yes, in Avignon. Uh, he summered there and they made his his summer clothes. Mm. And uh, when they were being persecuted and took refuge in England, they took that weave with them and it became poplin, Pope's linen. So we would say poplin. You'd, and, and so we have... Uh, you know, khaki, well, uh, you would never just say his pants, you'd say his khaki pants, his seersucker was one, Um, gingham, which comes from Malaysia. Uh, You would just name all the places, it was a way of connecting to our history, which was not at all in the books we were uh, uh, reading. So um, Mm. that passage uh, that you just read is... A way of jamming uh, all the things I've just said to you, mm. in that without going into, I go into things like uh, mm. what I just said in other. I, I will do it in the garden book and. Um, I will do it in other uh, things i uh, i 'm writing, but this this dispossession of of place mm. and a memory of the past renaming mm. um, to na- to name something i can 't stress this enough to name something is to possess it. Mm and whenever i want to give people my students a lesson in them i have them read the um christopher columbus's uh journal of his first voyage to uh the trying to get to Japan mm. where he renames everything and no one remembers what their names are
1: but isn't writing then a way to rename the renamed well you know? in my
2: case uh, yes i like i like to do that i like the names of things i i know the uh, t- uh, again you to go back to your uh, the beginning of the conversation of going to the place, uh, to the Himalayas to see these plants. Um, I, I got to know their names, but not the names that the uh, um, Nepalese called them. I don't know what they called them, mm. um, but I know what Linnaeus called them. And so I go looking for Linnaeus's names. Mm. Um, I'm a very big fan of Linnaeus, by the way.
1: We'll talk about that afterwards.
2: <laughs> oh. For now, I would like
1: to say thank you so much. For are we at coming the end here? Yes, we are. At at good end. grief. Do you, or would you like to say something? No, else? no, I am here at your. Dis- I think this, we've, we've said our this, part. End, yes. So yes. thank you so much well, for us, you. and thank you, yeah. Jamaica Kincaid.